Amazing. Lots of important life lessons learned. I'd love to hear more about that later, not now. Love to hear from you after the service what your important life lessons were. And I asked that question because Rich has already mentioned it, isn't he? He shared with us last week a story of um, something that he hoped was going to change his life. Unfortunately, it didn't. We await the report next week, Richard, on this new garlic peeler. The, the garlic saga, as it will now become known, henceforth. We'll wait for the next update. So I want to share with you tonight a lesson that actually did change my life. So I'm going one better than Richard, unless his garlic peeler works. So it was a few, few years ago, my wife Megan and I um, had just recently started dating. We were kind of in the, that early stage of your relationship where everything's like exciting and you're like messaging each other all the time. And I mean, WhatsApp didn't exist then, it was a while ago, but it, we, we were on, you know, mess, text messaging each other all the time, sending little notes and little gifts to each other. And I happened to be out shopping one day and uh, I was like, oh, I should probably get Megan a gift, you know, just to kind of you know, show that I love her and, you know, things are going well and I want to kind of bless her. I think she got me a gift um, the, the week before. I think she got me like a really nice shirt or something like that. She obviously put a bit of thought into it, spent a bit of time on it. So I thought, I better do something, you know, a similar kind of gesture. The problem was, it was near the end of the month. I think I didn't have a huge amount of money left in the bank account. So I was scraping the barrel a bit. Uh, and the, the, budget, the budget wasn't massive. And uh, anyway, I was out browsing, and this is going to date the story, I'm really sorry, but I was in HMV. Does anybody remember HMV? <laughs> yeah, there we go. It was a great shot, wasn't it? I mean, before the rise of streaming, essentially, if you don't know what it is, it was a place where you used to go to get like DVDs and CDs, if anybody knows what they are now. Uh, but pre-streaming, it was where you, you went to get all your music <clears throat> uh, and, and films and stuff like that. And, and, and as I browsed, I was kind of like, you know, heading towards the sales section over here. Uh, and uh, as I browsed the sales section, um, I found an, a, a CD by these guys. Anyone remember them? Yeah? <laughs> Girls Aloud, I'm dating myself again. They were like, if you don't know who they are, they were like, um, 15 years ago, they were similar sort of little mix. It was that kind of genre. They were like... They weren't X Factor, but they were the one before X Factor. Anyway, I found this like greatest hits of Girls Aloud CD, and I used the quotes advisedly. Um, uh, <laughs> it was in the sales section. I think it was about £2.50 or something like that. I don't know why I thought Megan would want the greatest hits of Girls Aloud. <laughs> I mean, you can ask her if she still likes them <laughs> later, but uh, hey, it was £2.50. I think that was what was at the, the forefront of my mind. Uh, so yeah, there we go. It ticked all the boxes, you know, it was a present and it didn't break the bank. So I bought it, I gave it to her. And to be fair to her, she was very, very polite when I gave it to her. She accepted it very graciously. I think she even put the CD on in the car when we went out. I mean, back when cars had CD players, again. Problem was, I'd made a rookie error. I left the price label on. <laughs> <laughs> And as she went to get the CD out of the case, she saw it, and my stomach hit the floor. I think probably the colour drained from my face. And uh, she kind of turned to me with a bit of a mischievous glint in her eye, and she was like, is that all I'm worth to you? Ouch. Ouch. So here's the lesson. I'll tell you this for free. Not £2.50. Um, if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and you like them, 
and you want to keep dating them, always take the price label <laughs> of the gifts you give them. But that isn't the real lesson tonight. What, what I learned that day was that giving really is about so much more than cost. I needed to change the posture of my heart. And that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight. But before I get to that, I want to encourage you. It's not something we normally kind of go on about too much, but I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to this week. Listen to um, the wonderful talk that Ada brought this morning at the 9.30 service. It's on YouTube. It's on the podcast. It will, be, it will be on the podcast early this week because she's talking about giving. She comes at it from a really different perspective from the way that I'm going to talk tonight. I'd love you to go and check that out because hopefully what we're going to say will kind of sit alongside each other. So tonight, I'm not going to tell you that you should give money to God's work to the church. And I'm definitely not going to tell you how much you should give. I'm not going to tell you why you should give. That's, and I'm not going to tell you how much you should give because that is between you and God. I'm going to focus tonight on what I just spoke about before, where our giving comes from our heart posture that's all around giving. And we're going to look at probably the most famous passage in all of Scripture, um, John chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm sure you've heard it before. You've probably heard it a million times. You've seen it written on cards. You've seen it in windows. You've seen it on signs. But tonight I want to suggest that when we look at this verse in its proper context, it has the potential to completely transform the way that we think about giving. So we're going to hear from uh, the, the John's Gospel now. Holly's going to come and read to us. Um, and I'm going to do it from here, hopefully. I'm going to control the slides. Holly, thank you. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So do not be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you do not understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But you do not believe me when I tell you about earthly things. How can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God so loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Brilliant, thanks so much, Holly. So, what is going on in this passage? We've got this guy, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And there's something significant about Nicodemus, because it's like he's searching for some sort of spiritual guidance. They go on to have this sort of slightly strange conversation, but before we get on to that, we need to understand a little bit about who Nicodemus was, because he was a Pharisee. And you might have heard of the Pharisees, they were kind of the Jewish religious leaders. It was their job basically to tell the people how to live, to kind of apply the law and tell them how everybody had to live. The problem was, they weren't very good at their job. They thought that the point of obeying the rules was to kind of, you know, not sin and stay on God's good side. And that wasn't the purpose of of the law at all. God had given the law in the Old Testament to help people live well and to kind of enable them to be free in him. The Pharisees were obsessed with obeying the letter of the law that they completely missed the whole point of it, the spirit of the law. And one example of that is their approach to giving. You know, we're thinking about giving tonight, so this is a helpful way of looking at it. There is a practice in the Old Testament called tithing. You might have heard of it, where the idea would be that you would give, everybody um, in the community of God's people would give the first 10% of all their income to God's work. And it was a good principle. It was a really helpful way for everybody to give money to God. But the Pharisees had taken it to extremes. Look at what Jesus says to them in um, Luke's Gospel. He says, What sorrow awaits you Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. This effectively, it kind of sums up their approach to life. It's like, what is the minimum that I can, precise amount that I can get away with in order that I can stay in God's good books. Everything they did flowed out of a desire to kind of protect themselves. It was all about self-protection. So it wasn't really kind of life-giving. It was was really a bit more kind of soul-sucking. So Nicodemus, the guy in this passage, he's one of these guys. So he's rich, he's powerful, he's got a lot of authority. He knows the Old Testament really well. Uh, and, and, yet, and it's his job to actually make the law and apply the law. And yet, here he is, coming to Jesus, you know, a son of a carpenter from Nazareth, in the middle of the night, seeking some sort of spiritual guidance. He sees something in Jesus that is missing from his life. Something that is missing in his kind of hyper-legalistic, you know, letter of the law way of living Nicodemus sees that in Jesus. On the face of it, it would be a little bit like Lewis Hamilton coming to ask me how to drive or something like that. You know, I'm a pretty good driver, but um, <laughs> not like that. And you know, Jesus, 
in terms of earthy credentials, had nothing to offer. But in terms of heavenly credentials, Nicodemus sees something here. And so we get this conversation that we heard earlier playing out between them. And basically, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that his understanding of God is so kind of muddled, so upside down, that he needs like a, almost like a reboot. Um, something drastic has to happen if Nicodemus is going to get who God is. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, I don't know if you picked up on it in verse 3. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you know, you need to stop asking, what's the minimum that I can get away with? And you need to just completely change your way of thinking here. You need to be born again. You know, just like me with my, my cheap kind of presence, Nicodemus needs a new heart posture. So let's just pause for a minute there. I don't know about you, but if I was in Nicodemus's shoes, my head would be spinning a bit at this point. I'd be asking myself, well, am I not trying hard enough? Do I need to be more kind? Do I need to be more generous? Maybe I could dig a little bit deeper. Well, here, here's where we get to the good bit. Because to help him grasp it, Jesus kind of drops this massive truth bomb into the conversation. That famous verse, John 3.16. He gives Nicodemus a kind of example of what he's talking about. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is how God loved. He gave. God's love is not self-centered like the love of the Pharisees. It's not about self-protection. It's not about self-gratification. It's not how I love cheesecake, which is, you know, all, all that does is make me want to eat more cheesecake. It's not that kind of love. God's love is different. It reaches out. It draws in. It, it finds other people and it draws them into his love because it's inherently self-giving. It willingly sacrifices and pays the highest price so that somebody else can be blessed. Because of our kind of broken attitudes and our sort of selfish choices that all of us make, our messed up relationships that we have, because of that, God gave us Jesus to come and live as a human, to die a criminal's death on the cross and to restore us back into relationship with him. Can you imagine the cost of giving up the person that you most love in the world? Jesus was the most expensive gift that God could give. To God, loving and giving are the same thing. If you love, you give. And this has huge implications for us as we kind of seek to respond to this. It means we don't give to become better people. We don't even give to be less sinful. 
We don't give out of obligation and we definitely don't give to be closer to God. You know, otherwise we're just falling into the trap of Nicodemus and the Pharisees of thinking that we can somehow make ourselves better and earn our way into a closer relationship with God. We give because first we love I know that for me, for much of my Christian life, I don't think I've really ever grasped that. I mean, I've not kind of given money out of obligation, but I've definitely um, done it, I don't know, almost like to ease my conscience. You know, it's almost like a relief to think, oh, that money's gone out of my account this month. Um, That's another month that I don't have to worry. You know, I can stay right with God. I've ticked another box. I want to tell you tonight that is not the message of the gospel. Jesus tells us and shows us that the message of the gospel is a radical, costly, sacrificial, even reckless love expressed in the freely, joyfully given gift of God's Son hanging on a cross to bring us back into relationship with him. You know, a year or so after that debacle with the Girls Aloud CD, or Girls Aloud Gate, as the Sun would probably call it, if it ever got into the tabloids, things, a year on from that, things were going really well with, with Megan and me. Um, miraculously, my terrible gift selection skills had not inhibited our relationship, and uh, things were going so well that I knew I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life. So what do you think I did? Thankfully, I did not return to HMV and browse the sales section again. No. I emptied my savings account and I bought her an engagement ring. Now, don't get me wrong, I'd never been much of an investor. We're not talking megabucks. I also had a hardcore cheesecake habit by this point, so that was draining my savings. But that's not the point. It was the deepest desire of my heart to spend every single penny I had because I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life. I wanted to spend it on something that represented my love and commitment to Megan. I wanted to be with her forever, so I was willing to give up anything for that. And I'm definitely not trying to paint myself here as a a hero, but as I said at the beginning, you know, from that first gift that I gave her, I needed a change of heart posture. And that can only happen through love. If we love something enough, then that kind of radical, selfless, sacrificial giving, that's when that becomes possible. Tonight, in this passage, Jesus is inviting us, you and me, to change the posture of our hearts. It's there in the passage, isn't it? He says, humans can can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Do you see what this means? We can't get better at this by digging deeper. We can't try harder. Unless we're born again, then we cannot love in the way that God loves. Giving will either be grudging or to kind of get something out of it like it was with the Pharisees. But that's not how God works. It's not about what we need to do for him. He doesn't need us to give him any money. You know, it's all his anyway. It's about what he, what God has already done for us. 
This is how God loved. He gave. I wonder if tonight, like me, like maybe there's something in you that just registers with this and perhaps like me, you've re- you realise that your heart posture isn't quite right when it comes to giving. Maybe you're not giving from a place of love, but more like obligation. Maybe, like Nicodemus, until now you've wanted to sort of avoid angering God by kind of giving the right amount each month. Maybe, until tonight, it hadn't even occurred to you that giving to God was a thing. Jesus invites you, whoever you are, tonight, just like Nicodemus, to have your heart posture transformed your mindset shifted, your worldview flipped on its head. He invites you to be reborn, to be filled with the Holy Spirit again and to have that same love that he has for you that just involuntarily kind of just overflows into the lives of others and spills over into giving everything that you have. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not suggesting that right this moment you need to empty your entire savings account and put it into the church kind of bank account. That is not what I'm saying. Um, If God tells you to do that, then go for it. But actually, I think he very rarely does do that. What I am saying is that if we love, we give. Not out of obligation, but out of joy. Listen to that talk this morning. Ada talks a lot about giving from a place of joy. God wants us to be with him forever. So he gave up what was most costly to him. And when we get reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get that same love in us that spills over. Maybe you don't have much right now. Maybe you don't work at the moment. Maybe you're a full-time kind of parent, maybe you're a student, maybe you're at school, maybe you're at college. That's okay, God gets that. Like I said, I'm not here to tell you how much you have to give. This isn't about tithing our herb gardens like the Pharisees. It's not about pounds or percentages. There is no blanket rule that we're applying here. This is about knowing in the depth of our beings how the giving God loves us and responding from that same place. So as I finish, I want to encourage us as we continue through this season of vision and we're asking how God is calling each of us to give to his work here in Claygate. Let's not make it about duty. Let's not make it about obligation. Let's not make it about getting in God's good books. Let's make it about love. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Amen.